I titled the sermon, Abraham, the father of all who believe. And that was where I left it. And then I thought, no, that's not, that's not specific enough. It's not just who believe. It's who believe in Jesus, in Jesus. And I say that purposefully because of the Jewish audience that received this letter. And those, it wasn't, you know, every person wasn't a Jew who received the letter, but there were many who were Jews And as Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, there would be many who would say, well, of course he's our father. Of course he's our father. And and Paul would want me to say, no, he is not your father eternally, supernaturally, in saving way, unless he is your father through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ. It's not enough to say we are of Abraham's seed. We come in his bloodline. That does not save. It never saved anyone. The only way that salvation comes to sinners the world over, Jews or Gentiles, is through Jesus Christ and placing faith in him alone. And so that's what Paul is laboring here to really draw this out. And we've been in this a little bit, but he's going to just build this out here through the end of chapter four. So a quick review In chapter 3, we picked up this work of sola fide. It is faith alone that saves. It's not works. You can't earn it. We hold, Paul says, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It is not our work that merits salvation. It is the work of Christ. And we access His righteousness by faith, by trusting in Him as our only hope. And then he went on to say last uh, two weeks ago, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. These are the words of David, right? As he is speaking of the, the amazement of his forgiveness upon confession and repentance for his very horrific sins. There's a blessing for those who receive this forgiveness and are counted righteous by trusting in the Messiah. So we pick up then today and I titled these first few verses, Order Matters. Order Matters or sequence is significant, right? Order is important. Verse 9, Paul is going to ask a few questions here just to dial this in even more. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then? Here's the next question. How then or when uh, was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? This is a great question for Paul to ask and really draw attention to. When was it that God declared Abraham righteous? He answers the question that he just asked. It was not after but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. That's the key, by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So let me, let me show you why this is so significant. And sometimes people say, oh, you, you, those theologians, they're always trying to figure out all the nitpicky little details. Why not just keep it simple? Well, the details are significant. The order is important. If one thing comes before the other, then there is a ground of boast. And Paul is 
is just ruthlessly eliminating any boast, even from old father Abraham. In Genesis 15, we read that Abraham believed God. And it was at that point that he was justified. He placed his faith in the God who promised. This is what I am going to do. And it is that at that point he was saved. He was justified, declared righteous. It is two chapters later that he and God are, are, are interacting and God uh, assigns to him the uh, command of circumcision. Okay, now we might say, well, it's just two chapters. Well, here's the deal. That's over 14 years apart. Those two chapters display for us a 14-year gap between his being declared righteous and him taking upon the sign of that in circumcision. Paul says that is a huge deal. It is significant. There's 14 years where Abraham walked as one declared righteous by God, and he was not yet circumcised. So for the Jews who are saying to these these New Testament Christians, hey, listen, faith is great, but you have to be circumcised in order to truly be saved. Paul says a resounding no. That's not true. You cannot add works to faith in order to justify. It is faith alone that is the basis of God's declaring us righteous. It's interesting how important the order is. So he goes on to say it this way. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So all are saved the exact same way. There is only one plan of salvation. It's been plan A from the very beginning. The gospel is embraced by faith. The work is the work of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. His work is the work that we trust, not our own. He is the father of all who believe. Abraham becomes the father of all who believe. And here's, it's just sometimes we get a little bit convoluted in the way we think about this. And so I want to be just super clear. I am not a replacement theologian, okay? I firmly delight in God's promises to Israel. There will be a future answer to the promises such that we could witness it and say, all Israel was saved, okay? Now, how is that going to happen? The same way you were saved. It is going to be coming through a supernatural and sovereign, massive work of revival that will spread through Israel. And what is it going to focus on? Jesus Christ. That is exactly how the promise is fulfilled to Israel. And Paul understood it's not just future promises. It's today. Even though there's a hardness of heart over the Jews because of their rejection of Christ, that still remains. But he always went to the Jew first and then to the Greek and also to the Gentile, right? So evangelism in our day should certainly target the lost who are Jewish. There is absolutely no reason to think that our evangelistic pursuits and prayers and efforts should ever look past Israel or the Jews. They are front and center to be 
evangelized with great fervor and prayer. Oh, Lord, save. Even now, save. So we don't deny the future promises of Israel, but we do say this. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are Abraham's son. You are Abraham's daughter. You are Israel. You are brought in. You are grafted in. You become part of the true Israel, which has always been the Israel that comes by faith in the Messiah. So not to oversimplify things, but that's not complicated, right? That's just straightforward. One way of salvation, one promise that comes to all who believe Abraham is our father. Friends, Gentiles, those of us who are Gentiles, he's your father. Father Abraham had many sons, and guess what? That's us and daughters. Special, special gift of grace. Hmm. By faith, that's how it happens. Ordo salutis, some of you guys remember when we studied this in the men's study, um, just because we're hitting this, this significance of, of chronology or order, I thought I would throw this up. In fact, I'm going to move through this faster than, than, than some of you would prefer. So get your phone and, and just take a picture of this in a minute, okay? Because then you can go back or watch it on YouTube and you can screenshot it there. Um, here is what we learn from the Scripture about the order of salvation. Now, here's the funny thing. Our experience of, of, of being saved is, is not at all the fullness of what is happening in those moments. What we read in Scripture is, is what un, unpacks this for us. And all of a sudden, we, we study this and we say, oh, wow, there was a million things happening in that moment that I was unaware of. Okay, So let me lay this out and I'll walk you through it. It begins with election. Now, we're going to be studying this in Romans 9 through 11 in great detail. Starts with election. This is the Father's work. He chooses some from every nation, tribe, and tongue that he will set his covenant saving love upon. He chooses them out of the world. From among all the nations, he, he chooses to save some, not all. And then he assigns to them a destiny. That's the easiest way to think about predestination. It is the assigning of a destiny. That destiny is glory, life eternal. This is the Father's work. And then he gives the mission to his son who goes and accomplishes the salvation of those whom he has chosen. And the son accomplishes it in full. Every single sin of every single sinner who he has chosen, who will believe, paid for in full. The gospel is proclaimed to the ends of the earth. That is our mission. We go, we speak to everybody, tell them all about the gospel. But in the moment that God ordains, there is an effectual calling the gospel call that is the Spirit's work that stirs to life those who are dead and lost and haters of the gospel and those who would suppress, as Romans 1 says. And in that moment, now these are, these are instantaneous things, but there is a progression. There's a flow. The first thing that happens is regeneration. This is the work of God. He causes the dead to live. This is Lazarus, right? Think the spiritual side of, of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead physically. Here, let me pick someone. Chris, okay? Chris, the Spirit, it's as if the Spirit in, in connection with the gospel being proclaimed. Chris, come to life, right? And what we experience on this side of it is, oh, I see Christ. I feel 
the weight of my sin. I need a Savior. I hear the words of the gospel. I see love. I, I see glory like I never, ever saw before. That is the Spirit's doing. He has given you life. And the next thing that happens is conversion. And this is where faith occurs. This is where faith occurs. It is our part in this, in this process. We, are, through grace, are enabled now to repent of our sins and to place our faith, our trust, our confidence in Christ as Savior and Lord. It is upon that, that display of embrace, I choose you, I embrace you, Jesus, as my King, my Savior, my Lord. I, I place my faith in you. It is the basis of that by which we are given this righteousness, the righteousness of Christ is now imputed to us all of our sin there. That's conversion. It happens in a moment. What comes next then is justification. That, that's the declaration of righteousness. And then adoption. Immediately, we're adopted, adopted into the family of God. And we are sealed in the Spirit, made to be heirs. Certain future is ours. Sealed in the Spirit. We are given eternal life. And that life cannot be lost. It is in that moment that sanctification begins. Now, never confuse justification with sanctification. Justification is the work by where God says, because of what my son did, I declare you righteous by faith in him. Sanctification is now, now work with me, he says. Come with me. I have commands for you to obey. I have things for you to address in your life. You are positionally righteous and I am calling you to realize that progressively day by day as we chisel on sin and we hunt and kill it. And you come in my strength and my power, we're going to go to work and we're going to make you like Jesus Christ day by day. That's sanctification. And attached to that is perseverance. We run through the tape. We run the race to the end. Trusting, working working out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who wills and works in us. Like, it's synergistic. We're working with Him. And the final step of this is glorification, where we either die or Christ returns for our experience, right? And we are brought face to face, made perfect, holy, and we are with Him forever. Someday to be reunited with our bodies, to come down to a new heaven and a new earth, all of these things. This is salvation right there. And isn't it glorious? Because most of us don't, we, we don't often realize all of the things. There's actually more. I didn't have time to cover it all, but that all happened when God saved you. And it's happening right now. That's where we're at. We're in the sanctification and perseverance phase. And all who are genuinely saved by Christ, who have trusted in Him as their, their Savior and King, will persevere to the end in faith. The ordo salutis. What a glorious design God has given. Now, faith and promise. Verse 13, faith and promise. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. This is, you can't, you can't skip over this. Like, did you catch that? Abraham and his offspring. Who is that? That's us, by faith. Will be heir 
of the world. Okay, so come with me on this a little bit. Let's just imagine that uh, the world's richest person, I don't want to say who it is because it's always changing. Okay, let's just imagine the world's richest person says, I am going to take all of my wealth, all of my property, every single cent that I own in whatever form, and I am going to do something that will shock the world. I am going to pick at random one person on the face of this earth and bequeath it all to them. I am going to bestow it all to them. And so they get this swimming pool and they fill it full of little slips of paper with people's names from all over the world. Every person on earth is named and the, and the names are dropped into the swimming pool. And here goes the billionaire or trillionaire, whatever he is. And he, he jumps in to the pile of names. He reaches way down and he pulls out your name. Imagine. And he says, Dan Long, Dan Long, as of 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, all I have is yours. All you have to do is go down to the courthouse and sign your name. Now, how's that going to change the way you live the rest of this day? That changes everything, doesn't it? The whole concept. I am about to inherit the largest wealth in the world tomorrow. Change the way you think. Change the way you live this day. Now just imagine, that's like kindergarten. That's not even, that's like, oh, I can't think smaller than that. It's before preschool. It's like drooling in the, in the, in the cry room at church, right? You're going to inherit the world. Bezos has nothing on that. What, he's got 400 million worth of property? Come on, really? Christian, you own the world. It's coming to you by faith. By faith. It's coming to us. As children of Abraham, we are heirs by faith. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to try to earn it. We simply say, for saving me. I depend upon you totally. It is the righteousness of faith. What an amazing reality. For if, the, uh, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. The promise of, of, of inheriting the world. For the, the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. What's he saying? Well, listen, he, he's saying, if it's up to us, <laughs> we're dead meat. We can't do that. We can't earn that. We, we stand to lose everything if we try to keep this amazing promise and inheritance by our works. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's a reference back. Remember, we, we covered that. The places where there is no scripture, those people who have the law written on their hearts will be judged by that, but they won't be judged by the Bible they've never read, right? The still judgment is real, and it will be intense, and, and hell is deserved because the law is written on their hearts, but, but God judges justly according to the revelation that you have. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise, listen to this, this is so important, the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, 
who is the Father of us all. What an awesome phrase there. The confidence of our faith, believers, is that God's salvation is is grace given. It It is not merited. It is His free gift that He bestows. Not because we deserve it. You could say it this way. Faith accords with grace. What else are you going to put in line and connect it to grace? You can't. Grace is is undone by any kind of performance. So there's no other state that accords with God's sovereign grace than just complete trust and reliance on Christ. We're saying, I can't work to earn any of this. All I have is is trust. I just, I'm just going to embrace you as the only hope of my life. You are the worker. He goes on and he says, as, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Oh, there's so much happening here. In fact, I go to Genesis 1, how God created ex nihilo. He didn't just make from things that existed. He spoke into existence things that didn't exist. Let there be and there was. Paul, as he often will do, will equate that to the way he saves. He saves us ex nihilo, as it were. There's no spiritual life in us. We're not scratching on the tomb trying to get out like Lazarus somehow. No, we're dead. We are lifeless. We are hopeless. We are lost. And he says, come forth. Live. Come to life. This is what he can do. And this is why our faith in him is so rightly placed. I'm going to say a few things about faith since we're on the topic. There's a list here you can fill in on your sermon notes here. The first is this. Christian faith is not a blind faith. I I never like the illustrations of just close your eyes and and leap into nothing. That is not the Christian faith. We are those who by grace see God in all of his glory. And when we place our faith in him, it is truly, it's the most logical thing that could be done. Believing in Jesus for salvation from sin is the most reasonable decision you will ever make. Far more reasonable than trusting yourself or someone else or depending upon anything else for salvation. This is truly where faith and reason meet. Faith is not against reason. It is truly the most uh, honest reason that there is. This is God. He is good. He has promised. So when Abraham trusted God, the God who promised him, it wasn't blind faith. It was trust. He didn't know what it all meant, but he had heard a promise from the God who is. No one can say that was an unreasonable decision. It was brave and courageous but it certainly was with reason. So our faith, Christian, is not blind. We are not, we're not those who have blind faith. We have the word, we have promises, we have revelation, and we see and we choose with that in full view. 
Second, Christian faith is not a denial of reality. It's not a denial of reality. The, the, the Buddhists will often deal with pain in this way. They just say, no, there's no pain. There's no pain. That, that you can have all this pain in your body. In, 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 in the walk of a Buddhist, you're just like, no, it, it doesn't exist. Well, that's not what we're called to as Christians. That's not faith. Faith doesn't say there is no pain. Faith says, in view of the pain, I cling to you all the more. Though all I see is dark, I know you are greater. Right? It's not a denial of the darkness, of the struggle. There's a very popular movement that's been around for far too long. I hope it just dies out soon. This is what it is. It's the Word of Faith movement and the prosperity gospels all intertwined together. You see these guys on TV. They sell way too many books. And I'm just naming names here for your benefit. That needs to be done. If you have books by these people, throw them away. It's trash. It's garbage. They have polluted the gospel. And you know how they do it? They mess with faith. That's where it happens. This is what they say. Listen, your words have the the, the, the power, your faith is like a force and you can create reality. You can deny reality by the way you think and the words you speak, right? So you have Joel Osteen say, he's got a book called The Power of I Am. Good night. I don't even want to get close to that book. There is one I am. His name is Jesus. You are not him, right? You don't speak reality. God does. We are not little gods. We, we are not deities. We are, we are those who are made as human beings who carry the image of God. And it's our job not to be God, but to point to him in our dependence. Kenneth Hagin, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Paul and Jan Crouch, Fred Prince, Creflo Dollar, Joel Osteen. Go down the list. I mean, it's just the list is unending. Basically, it's self-esteem with a few verses and a whole lot of mumbo-jumbo. Faith is not falsehood. You don't wake up in the morning, stand in the mirror and say, I am successful. I am wealthy. I am going to have an awesome day. I'm going to I'm going to have a, a sinless wife. I mean, fill in the blank. I love you, babe, by the way. But it's Father's Day, so I can get away with that. No. It's silly. It's goofy. I have the one guy bought himself flowers. You're, you're awesome. Here's your flowers. And he's standing from the mirror. And I'm like, guys. The Bible is rich. What are we doing with all this craziness? Don't buy their books. Bookstores, cancel their books. It's not the gospel. That's not faith. Hmm. There are many, many, many people who have been led to the fires of hell by these people in the name of faith. And it's false. Faith in the face of death is not faith that says i'm not sick i'm not sick i literally heard of a of a of a man who was sick and dying and he was being taken to the hospital 
but he refused to say goodbye to his family because he was afraid if he did, he would be acknowledging the fact that he was dying and he thought that that would kill him for sure. So he never said goodbye and those poor family members lost their dad and, their, and, their, and her husband because of this craziness and falsehood. Faith in the face of death says, I am not afraid. Why? Because my God has promised. I'm going to live even if I die. We can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not fear. Not fear. Why? He's with us. He didn't say you're not going to hurt. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to have physical ailments or die. He said, I'm with you every step of the way. Cling to me. That's faith. I look to you. I need you. I cry out. I'm weak. Help me. Christian faith is not a meritorious work. Let's just be clear on this. We've got to, we've got to guard against this. The faith that we are given by grace is not a meritorious work that, that is, is why we're saved. It is not we who save ourselves. The very faith we employ is given as a gift by God's grace. How many people have heard these words? Well, it's your own fault you weren't healed. You just didn't have enough faith. You talk about one of the most cruel things to say to somebody. Young couple trying to have a baby, praying, struggling. All of the weight of that struggle and change. You know, one out of eight couples goes through battles of infertility. Can you imagine someone saying that to those poor people? What do we know to be true of God? Is He able? He is able. If He wills, absolutely He can open the womb. But it may be that He has in His infinite wisdom a different plan for this couple or that couple. Faith is not manipulation of God. Faith is, I look to you, I trust you. Meet me in this weight, this deep, this dark, and be my strength. Whatever you bring. It's, it's, we pray this way, friends. It's right to pray, Lord, if you will. If it would bring glory to you, if it would please you, we know that you can. That's not in question. We pray that you would. Heal, bring the children, whatever it may be, cure the cancer. We pray that you would for your glory. But not our will, but yours be done. You are the one who sees all things. You are the one who is all wise. We are so limited in our experience. And it may be your greatest gift to bring this person to yourself. So we rest in your perfect plan. That is not a lack of faith. That is true dependency. Jesus modeled this in the garden. There's any other way. If there's a way for this cup to pass from me, then that'd be great, right? Yet not my will, but yours be done. What a great balance of that. Faith, trust, dependence. Praying to and trusting in the God of all sovereignty. He's in control, not us. He's in control. He says, trust me. Look to me. Depend upon me. Come to me. Talk to me. 
Cry out to me. I'm with you. I'm close. I love you. I'm caring for you. It is God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's faith. Faith embraces those words. Now, the last few verses here, God is able, God is faithful. God is able, God is faithful. Verse 18, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Speaking of challenge having children, right? As he had been told, so your offspring shall be, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He didn't weaken in faith. He trusted. God promised, this is what I'm going to do. And he said, okay, all right. I'm banking on that. I'm trusting you. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. What does that tell us? There's a journey of faith, right? It's not perfect, is it? It's not a perfect faith. Our faith is, is, is that which, which looks to God, but sometimes even in our weakness, like we, we can pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to grow in my faith. As he gave glory to God, he grew strong, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, Christians. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Oh, a few more thoughts then about faith. Christian faith is strengthened through adversity. Friends, if your faith is, well, God promised everything's going to be great. I, I've, I've worked with people who have come out of churches that are just like, hey, come to Jesus and it's all better. You're going to have, all your problems are going to go away. And they come into my office and they're like, they lied to me. And my answer is, they did. They did. That's not what he promised. Sometimes God is purposing to accomplish something in your suffering to strengthen you, to refine you. I think of it like a weight bar. The weight bar is faith, and God will, for your good, for our growth, he will put the weights on the weight bar and that adversity causes it to be harder sometimes to trust. Oh, Lord, this is hard. What are you doing? I can't see. I don't know how this is going to work out. And he just says, keep lifting. Keep lifting. I am strengthening you in this adversity. Trust me. And then he'll put a few more weights on. Oh, whoa. Right? Sometimes he shows us the end of ourselves to cause us to be broken before him and trust him totally. That could be the greatest gift he could ever give. Break me, Lord, of my dependency upon me and show me what it means to totally rely on you. 
Christian faith is strengthened through adversity. That's why Job is in your Bible. The prosperity gospel has nothing to account for of that. In hope, he believed against hope. What a phrase. In hope, he believed. Even when it was hopeless, everyone around was saying, oh, you're a fool. And he said, no, God promised. God promised. You're too old, Abraham. Your wife, she's too old. There's no way it's going to happen. And he's like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith. Who is doing that, Christian? God. God will test your faith to grow you, to strengthen you. And he will employ adversity and, and challenging and trials. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Blessed is the man. There's a blessing awaiting those who remain steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Persevere. Cling to him no matter what. Come what may. Cling to him. Look to him. Number two, Christian faith honors and glorifies God. Did you catch this in our passage here? Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Well, how was he doing that? As he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. I was struck by this this week. Uh, kids, you honor your parents when you trust them. You honor them. When, when you trust somebody in your life, you show honor to them. When you distrust somebody, and sometimes, maybe rightly so, right? There is, there is a dishonor shown, especially if they deserve trust and you withhold trust. You dishonor them. Sometimes pride gets in the way, right? Well, I know better. It's interesting, the older I get, the more I see my youthful ignorance. I know better. I, I really see it this way. And, and I look back and, and I wish my, my 44-year-old self could have a little chat with my 14-year-old self. Hmm. When we trust God, we glorify Him. He gets glory when we depend upon Him. He loves that. He loves it. That's why you don't ever think, oh, God's probably tired of me coming to him again. No, he loves it. He is honored and glorified when we run to him and pour out our hearts. I need you. I look to you. I trust you. He is glorified in that. Number three, Christian faith rests upon God's power. It rests upon God's power. Sometimes we have to be reminded about the mustard seed, right? We, we sometimes think, well, it's about the measure of faith. And, and if I have great faith, then, then it's, it's going to be huge. And if I have little faith, then God's not going to be able to do anything. No, no. The mustard seed is our reminder here. Who is the one who has the power? God. Look to him. Look to him. We're the weak ones. It's not about us. You don't stand in the mirror and say, man, my faith is awesome. Right? 
You don't come through a trial and brag about your faith. You brag about the power of God who met you in that trial. Simon, Simon, Jesus says, after he was bragging about how he would never betray Christ and he would follow him anywhere, even unto death. He said, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And he would. He would. But, Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed for you. What did he pray? That your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again. So what does this tell us? It tells us that sometimes our faith is not perfect. Sometimes we have days when we're struggling. We're fighting the battle to trust and rely and depend. Lord, I can't see. Help me trust. Pray that. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Christ prayed for the faith of Peter. And after he denied, he repented. That's the difference between Peter and Judas. He felt terrible. He repented and he ran to Christ. Hmm. Ultimately, the reason that we are saved at the end of our lives is not us. It's the power of God that keeps us and holds us. Which leads us to the fourth. Christian faith perseveres in God's grip. Christian faith perseveres in God's grip. Those whom he predestined, I'll skip ahead to, to Romans 8 here. I love that chapter. Those whom he predestined, he called. That's the call to life. If the Father predestined them, then they will be called to live to come alive and be justified. Those whom he called, he justified. See, so the, the, the equation keeps going. Everyone predestined will be called. Everyone called will be justified, declared righteous. And without anyone missing, look at the chain. It's inseparable. It's unbreakable. All those whom he justified will be glorified. Do we believe in once saved, always saved? Do you believe that life is eternal and that it's promised? The reason I believe once saved, always saved is because God said, I'm going to give you eternal life. That doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment he makes you live. And it never ends. He's not going to pull the rug out from under your feet. When he forgave you all of your sins, he did so says, before the ages began in Christ. That's mind-blowing. It's not like he's like, oh, whoops, I didn't see that sin coming. Nah, I'm changing my mind about you. No. All your sins have been dealt with on the cross of Christ. Our faith will persevere to the end because God won't let us go. Listen to this verse in John 10. I love, I love John 10. I love John 6. Just can't wait to preach the gospel of John. My sheep, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. How? That's by the Spirit. And I know them. I know them. It's a covenant knowing, a loving. I love them. And they follow me. Yeah, that's what happens when that occurs, that salvation occurs. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's how secure you are, Christian. 
in your faith. Now that means that we take seriously the Lordship of Christ. When I say once saved, always saved, I mean real faith that loves and lives for Christ. We can get out of here with all this. I got fire insurance. I can live however I want. Well, that's not the gospel. That's not faith. Hmm. We are justified by faith apart from works. We are made to be Abraham's offspring. You and I. Does that blow your mind? Sons and daughters of Abraham and heirs of the world. We're going to inherit the world. Hmm. Response this morning. Friends, faith is such a part of our walk as Christians. It is such a vital part of our soul in our connection with the gospel and with our Lord. There's a song that, that goes this way. I just want to read it like a, like a poem here at the end. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Jesus. Verse 2. Though he's, those he saves are his delight. Christian. You are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we delight in your promises. We thank you for these incredible promises that you have made. Lord, we we together say, yes, we believe, we, we agree, we trust. Oh, we delight in the fact that you are faithful to your word. We thank you, Lord, that you're not just a God who, who promises, but you're a God who is able to fulfill your promise. You're a God who is serious uh, in keeping your promise, and you have the power to do it. And so, Lord, as we walk with you day by day, we pray that our faith would grow. Father, we sometimes are not always as appreciative as we ought to be of, of the way you strengthen our faith. But we pray, O oh Lord, that you would continue to put those weights on the weight bar of our faith and, and stir in us a greater dependency and trust so that you would be glorified and so that we would have a firm foundation regardless of what we face. We thank you for all that you do for us, even when we don't even know all that you're doing. We delight in you, the God of salvation. We thank you for the way you meet us in our weakness, and you show yourself strong. Oh God, thank you that we don't have to try to earn what we already have in Jesus Christ. Righteousness by faith. We delight in you today, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
we're going to have a, a baptism celebration. And what I'd like to do is just explain a little about this in case you're new. Um, I always like to point this out. This is uh, not saving water. Um, there's nothing about Ferndale water that's going to save anybody. Um, it's warm, though, which is always nice. You know, as a pastor's kid, we used to swim in the baptistry. One of the greatest perks of being a pastor's kid. Saturday night, don't tell anybody. But uh, this is just, it's just water, right? There's nothing saving about this. We believe that baptism is a display of someone who has been saved, just like Abraham took on the sign of circumcision years after he had been declared righteous by God. So baptism is not saving, but celebrating and proclaiming what Helen has experienced in Jesus Christ. So Helen, come on up here and we will uh, celebrate with that. Dan, come give me a hand here, brother. Okay. There we go. I am so proud of you, I tell you. <laughs> you are something else. Okay, we're coming down. Okay, good. Is it good? Okay. We aim to please. All right. Good. And there's one more step down there. Very good. Okay. Good. And if you could just turn now and face the, the people there. Helen has some words that she wants to read. What I'll do is I'll hold the mic for you. Why don't you read them? You want me to read them? Okay. I will. Okay, oh, I don't need a mic. I have a mic. Okay. Helen says this. My background, uh, in my background, I was raised in the Mormon church. I believed in uh, God, but not the true God. Uh, coming to this church, I have found the true God who loves me. Uh, Jesus died um, and saved me, dying on the cross for my sins. And the Holy Spirit who lives in me has changed my life. And then she says, surely, uh, this is her verse from Isaiah chapter 12. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Amen. Amen. Yes. Okay. Why don't you turn here and just have a seat. See this little seat right there? Okay, just have a sit down there. All right. Very good. And Jenny, can you get some pictures of this? Okay, good. Right on. Okay, yeah. That's perfect. So what I'm going to do is ask you a question before we do that. Helen, have you trusted Jesus Christ? As your Lord and Savior and treasure, is he your hope alone in this life and the next? Yes. Okay. On the basis of your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in his death for you and raised to new life in him. All right. There you go. Good job. <laughs> 